Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is where we have conversations with guests about life, loss, grief, and grief dreams, which can be dreams of your loved ones that have passed away. So if you want to know more about the topic, you can definitely check out our website, griefdreams.ca, for more information. And here are four ways you can help support the podcast and help us spread awareness on this amazing topic. So number one, subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform that you listen to it on. Number two, become a member of the podcast, and that's for as low as $1.50 a month. This helps us run the podcast, and you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. Number three, you can take the Grief Dreams online course by Dr. Joshua Black at griefdreams.ca. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Facebook at Grief Dreams. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Uh, Happy to be podcasting and uh, doing this. uh, Yeah, doing what we love to do. On today's episode, we have with us Dr. Karen Wyatt, and she is the best-selling author of the book, Seven Lessons for Living from the Dying, which contain uh, stories of patients she cared for as a hospice doctor and the spiritual lessons she learned from them at the end of their lives. Dr. Wyatt also hosts End of Life University podcast, which features conversations with experts who work in all aspects of end of life care. She is wildly regarded as a thought leader in the effort to transform the way we care for our dying in the U.S. In addition, she is a valued for her application of spiritual principles to illness and healthcare. She teaches that in order to live life fully, Uh, And we must each overcome our fear of death and embrace the difficulties that life brings us. Dr. Karen Wyatt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be joining you. Well, it's great to talk to you again. I was on your podcast, the End of Life University podcast. I think it was an episode, I'm just looking right now, 301. (laughs) 300, and that's a while ago. So you have over 300 episodes just doing that. I just want to ask quick question. When did you get into or start doing your podcast? Because we're at 200 and we started about five years ago. And so you must have started before us. Yeah, I started doing interviews back in 2013 and posting those on my website. And I hadn't even heard of podcasts at that point. (laughs) But by 2015, I had started listening to podcasts myself and then thought, wow, all these interviews I've collected are really a podcast. So I started just uploading them, uh, you know, batch uploading all the previous interviews I'd done into the podcast and then also doing new interviews to add to that. And I've just kept doing it ever since. I found I love interviews interviewing people and hearing their stories. Well, that's what we love about this podcast too. It's, it is amazing. I learned so much from other people's lives and to get a, a time with them to like record the conversation. Cause I used to just have really meaningful conversations like off air, <laughs> but like to be able to record them and even go back and listen to them again, I think it's phenomenal. And you must be viewing it the same way as you actually get to record these conversations. 
Yes. And even having this online platform lets you talk to people from anywhere in the world. And that's, that's what's really phenomenal to me. You know, I used to try to have meaningful conversations with my neighbors and people face to face in my community, but podcasting just opens up the whole world and enables so many more valuable conversations to happen. And it also allows the guests to have a voice in a world that sometimes they feel hopeless in getting their story out. So I always find it's amazing when you're when you have a platform to not only like help others, but for the person who's the guest, a lot of times, like we've noticed anyways, they don't have many opportunities to share their story. And it is like a, a big moment for them to be able to have a platform to share. And then also they, they share links to their family and friends. And a lot of times they don't even know those stories that they talk about on air. So I think it's it, it works in so many angles to help people. And I find your podcast is so valuable because even for me, even though, you know, I've worked in, in the end of life arena for so many years, I've, I've had grief dreams, but I haven't that often shared them with other people. So it's so nice to have a place where it's totally safe to just to tell these stories and put it out there. It's very interesting when it comes to so many people are like that. They just don't share and for whatever reason. And we're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> like, what what is the hesitation when it comes to that? And it's just by I think normalizing having these conversations, people hopefully will have more confidence or more understanding that it's okay to share, and that it may actually help others as they move through their grief too. But I want to get I want to go back to you working at the hospice for so many years. What really got you into that field to then do all this other stuff? Well, I sought it out eventually after my father died by suicide, and I had a, a really terrible time trying to deal with his death and all the guilt that I felt as a doctor for not being able to help my dad through his depression and suicide. And so I was just really floundering and not doing that well in my medical practice or my life as a wife and mother. And one day the inspiration just came to me to call hospice. And I didn't really know very much about hospice, but it just seemed like that's where I need to be. I need to immerse myself in death and dying and sit with people who are facing grief and just be there working with them. And that will help me figure out my grief, but also help me learn some things I need to know. And so once I started as a volunteer in hospice, I knew I was in exactly the right place. And I ended up shifting my practice from family practice to hospice. And uh, it turns out it, it was where I needed to be. So I'm, I'm forever grateful that that inspiration came to me. Wow, that is interesting how a loss shifted. Well, it's not, well, it happened to me too and happened to a lot of other people, but your own grief shifted you in trying to understand grief in general and trying to be a part of that conversation more because it, was, it seemed to be a little foreign for you. And to be around other grief was actually seemed to be a comfort. Would that be true? Uh, yes, I would say in, in the fact that I felt so isolated and alone in my grief before, and I didn't feel like I had anyone around me who even understood what I was experiencing. And once I started working in hospice, it's like, well, everyone's grieving. And I suddenly realized I'm not really alone. This is actually one of the most common and normal things that happen to humans. We go through grief. And that was very comforting to me to suddenly stop feeling like I'm strange or this is odd that I'm experiencing these things. I suddenly knew I'm just normal. And this is what the process is like. So it helped me dive into it and accept it more. 
That's very interesting. And to just hear you talk about that, because it's an important aspect that you chose to uh, get deeper into it rather than avoid it completely. And I think that's one thing I've learned while doing this podcast is, you know, going into it and talking to other people, saying that I was going to be involved in a grief podcast, people kind of talk about that affecting you negatively, or how are you going to do it? It's scary. You're talking about death, which is probably, you know, what else do we fear that much? And it's such an unknown that we don't have a lot of skills. And I think talking about it or, you know, it can be difficult. And hopefully, you know, if you've grown up with people who can teach you or parents or family members who can teach you about it, that helps, but many people don't. So, you know, just, it's interesting to hear that, like, one way to get over it is by actually talking about it is by talking to people who've gone gone through grief and it actually ends up making you feel a little bit better about death about loss about grief and that's what i've learned from the podcast is doing these interviews with people i don't have before you know they're strangers to me until we talk but then hearing their stories it it brings a sense of comfort and awareness to a topic that i haven't experienced as closely to the level of that person like i don't i haven't died i don't know I don't have anybody that close, close to me attached to that. I didn't have a traumatic type of loss in my life. My grandparents died. That, that was significant to me, but it wasn't like, uh, as for me, it wasn't as painful as I could see other people uh, and the losses they've experienced. But yeah, that's something that I kind of grabbed from that. And I think that's amazing that, you know, you kind of, you dove deep into the waters, you know, it's like trying to learn how to swim. You just got right into the pool and just said, you know, let me figure this out. And I think that's a, that's a, an amazing thing to kind of go through and just hearing you say how it's helped you out so much. I think that's a uh, pretty cool. Yeah. I, I just recently learned about uh, the theory of post-traumatic growth and that people can grow after going through trauma and that it's the work that they do on themselves or on processing what has happened that helps them grow. And suddenly I looked back at that experience of, of, going to work at hospice and realize, wow, that was my post-traumatic growth process. That's the step I took that allowed me to start moving toward growth after the trauma. And so now I'm a big proponent of that theory and talking about that idea that we can actually grow after we go through something really challenging that breaks us apart and devastates us. Yeah, that's a very, very, very interesting idea about it and i think it's it holds very true in a lot of ways i think you know you have pain and you have challenges in your life you have you know like it's it's like that um chinese practice of when a when a bowl breaks and then you kind of you put it back together and you mend it and you change it it changes right but it you know it doesn't take away from what the bowl is it might even make it more unique and more amazing but that's the journey. And that's the that, that happens in life. And it happens after loss, especially and it happens after grief, because it's right in front of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, this is an opportunity, like any 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 moment where you when you're down to grow from it and learn from it. So that that's pretty cool. I'm, and you just you just read about that. Yeah, I just learned about it um, in the last six months or so because I was doing some research for a talk I was giving on grief. And then I thought, oh, wow, that really fits. That really describes what what happened for me. I've actually done research on that topic. So I'll send you one of my articles (laughs) that actually look at that and how it relates to continuing bonds. But yeah, it's really amazing on just that we're growing in the midst of suffering and not really realizing it. And then when we step back, and sort of that pain kind of alleviates, we start seeing some of the changes that were made within us. 
and our belief structure. And I think that's just the most amazing part is that even though you're going through pain, there is this change that is, you know, almost developing underneath it all. And then like now I look back, I'm like, oh, I grew so much now that the, I don't, I'm not focusing on the pain anymore. It's like, I can see the growth from it all. Yeah, so true. And so I'm really curious. So you were a family physician first, and you moved to the hospice, be hospice doctor. So you didn't write a book called Seven Lessons for Living as with people with uh, people from a family physician perspective. You wrote a book about the lessons learned from the dying. I think that's really interesting because <laughs> there's only the hospice thing that you really sort of see. Wait a second, like there is some jewels here that you didn't see in your other practice. Yeah, so true. Um, just having this opportunity, it's really a privilege to sit at the bedside with so many people who were facing their last days of life, which is such, it's a crisis that none of us can even imagine really or understand. And, and I think until we're there ourselves, but being able to hear their stories and hearing them tell me what they were learning as they faced the end of life about what really matters in life, uh, it was profound. And so many days I came home and thought, wow, like this person just told me how important it is to forgive. And I need to work on that. <laughs> I, that's an area I'm a little weak in. So, you know, once I, I saw from their perspective, what they valued as they were reaching the end of life, and it helped me change my own priorities about how I want to live day to day while I still have my, my life and health. What, what did you see in yourself that needed changing? Well, uh, the first thing, so I, you know, I came up with these seven lessons that that were really helpful to me. But one was what I learned initially in hospice was this idea of embracing the difficulties that come along, like my dad's death. And instead of rejecting it or feeling somehow victimized by it and that it was unfair to just say, this is what happened. So now I have to live with it. And now I have to live my the rest of my life as a person whose father died by suicide. And how do I incorporate that into who I am? And then the next lesson was the lesson of love. And I've always prided myself on being a doctor who knows how to love my patients, like how to experience compassion and love for them. But um, these hospice patients showed me even more deeply that it's really about living your life with love in everything that you do, not just treating other people, but loving life itself and being able to face every day and just fall in love with whatever life is offering you that day. And so there were a lot of time, a lot of things, and I mentioned forgiveness that I knew I needed more work and, and deeper work on how to forgive other people. And then another powerful one was learning how to be, just be in the present moment instead of letting my mind always wander into the past or the future, but just be here right now and take in whatever's happening around me in this moment. Wow, those are beautiful lessons. And for you to go through that and understand that there's something that you were lacking. And I think we're all lacking in many of those areas. And it's how can we awaken ourselves to understand that it can be different. The life we live can be different. And I'm glad you wrote about it because a lot of times in our culture, really we don't talk to those dying or, or those who are even older than us. And there's so many lessons people do have this. And a lot of times they don't even know that they're lessons for the next generation. It's just like who they are or what they've sort of, what they take with them. And so it's nice you've, you've wrote those down. Was there anything 
in particular, like a story that really moved you while you're a hospice in the hospice? Oh, oh gosh, there were so many. I would say, I guess one of my very favorite experiences that really touched my heart was working with a man who had been homeless most of his life. He was kind of a vagabond. I mean, he rode the rails, rode on trains around the country and lived by railroad tracks and just scrambled to get by. He had a history of alcohol and drug abuse, but he came to our hospice at the end of life because he had kidney cancer and was in kidney failure. And so uh, his urologist, I guess they had found this little apartment where he could live and they asked our hospice if we would just help take care of him for the last two weeks or so of his life. And he turned out, I was a little bit scared of like, oh gosh, how will I even relate to this man? What can I even talk to him about? But it turned out I discovered that he was uh an artist only who had just discovered that he was an artist. He had a spiral notebook and a number two pencil and had started drawing things that he had seen in his travels on the railroad around the country and was drawing these incredible, beautiful landscapes just with a pencil, you know, on lined spiral notebook paper. And so this was like this whole new area for him that he had, he'd never even known he had any talent for drawing. And so we on our staff just absolutely fell in love with him. And, and so we, we gave him free care. We came to visit him all the time. And it turned out instead of dying in two weeks, like his doctor predicted, his kidney function actually improved and he lived for an entire year. And so we became his family. And uh, in the end, when he did die, no one claimed his body. So our staff went forward and said, he's our family. So we, we claimed his ashes. He'd been cremated and we claimed his ashes and we had a funeral and a burial ceremony for him. And so, oh, I don't know, I guess it just gave me all of this hope that no matter what kind of lives anyone has lived, there's there's just so much possibility, even at, in the one's very last days for discovering something new about yourself or for, you know, for living your purpose and for having a life of meaning and mm. that's that's so beautiful it's so beautiful to that you guys got to experience that and it's it just uh it's a it's a great example of dignity i think i think you know there's people in our communities around us and you don't know their stories and you know you get to know them uh it's amazing this guy figured out he was an artist later on in life but you 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 know, that's, that's a gift, I think, a human interaction and just seeing that. And it, it's also kind of sad because you're like, man, there's people out there who, you know, I'm, I take it for granted that, you know, if, when I die, there are people who can arrange that and take care and, you know, care about me and, and want to know, want to want to make sure what the details are, whether there's a casket or this or that. And then here you have a, a, a person who doesn't have that and, you know, I just feel like I, I take it. I definitely take it for granted, I think, you know, after hearing something like that. Yeah. And you just imagine how many people like that there are. Mm -hmm. But we had this opportunity to become part of his life and to help make his last year of life better for him. And so that was very gratifying. And it also inspired us like to do whatever we could for anyone we could and to never say no to any patient that was offered to us, even if they couldn't pay, you know, or, or even if they seemed like this may not be the most reliable patient, <laughs> we still took them on. Yeah. And, and, and that is, uh, to me, the, the real, like the most beautiful thing about hospice, hospice workers and, and, you know, people who really care about, um, 
people who are dying. I think in those situations, when you have people who come come there and they don't have family, they don't have people around them, they don't have friends, and you know, just you were able to provide that little slice of uh, dignity and compassion. And, you know, and, and even for people who maybe have family, but maybe it, it's just not working out the way they wanted to. Right. But, um, yeah, I think that second family and those people who are in hospice uh, who care, I think, is such a critical, critical, amazing thing that you guys do. So, you know, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, as I said, it, it feels like a privilege to those of us who've done it, like not very many people get that opportunity. And so we're grateful that people let us come into their homes and be part of their lives. I know. We've had someone, a guest come on that talked about he would have dreams of some of his patients that died within the hospice. I thought it would be interesting to ask you if you've ever had a dream of anyone that you cared for in the hospice setting. Yes. Yes. I started having dreams of particularly those patients that I like I felt some some sort of connection with in some way. And it, it I actually started dreaming about them. Uh, as if they had died, but before they died, around two weeks or so before a patient would die, I sometimes had dreams and I would see them as um, translucent, like bodies of light in a way in the dream. And in my dream, it was clear like that they, to me, that they had already died, even though they actually hadn't died. But um, they, in each case, they came with some sort of a message for me sometimes to tell to tell me thank you or to say you know thank you for loving me and um in one dream uh there was this a young man who was dying of aids that that i cared for for quite a number of months and i dreamt that we were we were attending a dinner at the top of this um, at the very top of a, a skyscraper and it was a revolving restaurant, you know, that turned around while you were eating. Right. And uh, he asked me to dance and he was wearing a tuxedo with tails and I was wearing some kind of fancy cocktail dress. And we started dancing around that restaurant, around the perimeter. So I could look out the window and see the stars as we were dancing and we were laughing and laughing and dancing around and around in a circle while the restaurant was rotating. And then suddenly the restaurant disappeared and we were dancing just in the stars, surrounded by stars. And it was the most amazing, beautiful thing. And I just felt his joy and, and how happy and free he was. And, um, it was a huge gift to me because I understood that he was, he was okay. That, uh, he was moving on to some other place and being released from whatever suffering he was experiencing. And so anyway, it was a very, it was just the most beautiful, joyful dream. And I was able to share it with his family too. And they said, oh, before he got sick, he loved to dance, loved dancing. And so um, that made it all come full circle for me. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, usually we just talk about the dreams afterwards, but having those dreams prior and for them to, for the, the imagery to provide so much love for you that you normally see after someone dies, it's very loving and comforting. And you're having that prior. And I think what that would do to someone in this, who services or helps individuals at end of life to know how valuable their work is. Because I know just because you've wrote a book on lessons learned, it's a, like work is work and it's very difficult. And there's a lot of politics and a lot of different behaviors that go on within any organization and it's hard for us to feel love sometimes and 
I would think those dreams are really encouraging to allow you to continue to feel love in really difficult times yourself. Yeah, very much so. Again, those were dreams I couldn't always share with other people in the hospice because somehow I when I mean I always questioned like why am I having this dream? Like why is this coming to me? And several times I realized, oh, the family members would love to have had a dream like this. You know, they they would love this if they could dream about their loved one. And why am I having this happen? And I, at first I felt a little bit embarrassed or I wasn't sure if it was okay. But once I started telling the family members about the dreams I had, um, I, I realized it was very comforting to them. And it felt as if I had the dream because I was able to, because I wasn't in such a place of extreme grief and devastation. Like I was able to see the dream and remember it and share it. And so that maybe that's why maybe it really was a gift for them, too. And I was just happened to be the channel for it because because I was able to have that dream and uh, and carry it. Yeah, it's very interesting to understand, like, why people have certain dreams and other people really don't. And you're right. Maybe there's there's something just different about you versus other people. But as you said, it did give you a lot of love. And so it wasn't just for that. There's a big part of it that it was for you. Yeah, that's that's, the beauty of dreams. It could be for many people, not just a dreamer. That's very true. And you're probably right that, you know, there was something very sustaining about it and something that kept me inspired and also kind of reminded me that I'm on the right path. I'm doing the work that I was meant to do, even if it's hard, even if I get discouraged sometimes, this is this is where I'm meant to be. And I was thinking, too, because there's a thing called shared dreaming that so two people can have the same dream. Very interesting. So anyways, it'd be very cool to know, well, I don't know if you'll be able to know now, but maybe the dream you had, they also had that same dream. Wow. Oh, that's a, I love that thought. That's amazing. That would be wonderful. (laughs) Just the dream world is still, there's so much to explain and understand, but you know, those, that phenomenon has existed. So it's very, very, very interesting. Well, that was a, that's a great, such a great story. Mm. And you have so many. Like, I could talk to you forever on looking at everything, but I know we have limits when it comes to podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I actually want to go back to your grief of your father. because We haven't really talked about it too much other than you said it was very difficult and challenging because of the way he died. Could you talk more about your relationship with him and then what it was like to go through that type of loss? Yeah, my dad was some someone that I I admired him so deeply all my life, but he was a very quiet person and somewhat withdrawn. He kept to himself. He liked spending time alone and he liked being out in nature. And so my memories are mostly of doing things in silence <laughs> with him and, and more observing him and being in his presence and his energy more than having like deep conversations or anything. And but I admired my dad more than anyone else on earth because he was so he was such a good person, very honest and generous and kind to other people. And so my whole life, I, I looked up to him and I wanted to be like him. He was a role model that I thought I, I want to be just like my dad. And when he when he ended up taking his own life, it shattered everything because I didn't understand, you know, how did my dad have all this goodness and couldn't find a way to stay alive? And and then 
why am I role modeling myself after him? Because uh, is this what I want? Is this how I will end up too if I'm striving to be like my dad? And it, it caused so much confusion for me. So I was questioning my whole identity and my relationship with my dad. And, and again, questioning whether or not I was even a good doctor because I'd been trained. I had I'd taken rotations in psychiatry and behavioral health. I'd even worked with some suicidal patients. And so the fact that I was not able to help my dad when he became depressed and anxious was just caused me to really question whether or not I should even be a doctor. I thought maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm a terrible doctor. I couldn't help my dad. How am I going to help anyone? So in so many ways, everything about my identity and who I thought I was kind of fell apart with his death. And that's what left me feel like I was just floundering trying to figure out do i should i stay in medicine do i do i keep practicing and how will i ever recover from such a deep blow to myself you know such a such a devastating loss and um and for years i just i couldn't smile i couldn't feel joy and that's what it felt like for me carrying grief all those years is that i i never felt joy and uh it was a a a huge loss in my life to not be able to have joyful experiences, even with my own children. So, um, so that was, was kind of the big thing that I was struggling with in my grief. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough, it's tough, because not only did you lose your father, you lose a bunch of identities of who you are in the world. And you're like having to start at square one. So how did you find your way back, I guess, or to how did you build a new life, I guess, carrying all of that? Well, ultimately, um, starting to volunteer in hospice was really helpful for me because, again, as I said, I sort of found my place in medicine. So I could suddenly, um, I, I knew it's okay that I'm still a doctor and this is a place where I can practice medicine and be comfortable and I can bring all my pain. You know, it's okay that I've been through pain. And, and I can be with these patients in this place and do this work. So that helped me as a doctor to discover there was still a place where I could not, you know, not only survive in medicine, but actually thrive there and feel like I have all these tools now that I didn't have before that I can offer to people. And then it was just a gradual process of of day by day kind of working through primarily this guilt that I felt over over my dad's death and wondering what could I have done to change things and you know what mistakes did I make or how was this my fault because I I blamed myself in so many ways for his death which I think that's fairly common people find reasons why it's their fault especially in cases of suicide but it was a gradual process. I did a lot of reading and a lot of journaling and uh, just writing poetry and stories. And that, that was very therapeutic for me also. Yeah, I was, I was, man, that's crazy. You, like you just put a lot on yourself, you know, and you had a lot of guilt and a lot of, uh, you know, things got really heavy for you. And it's just to hear you talk about that. And you have a very pragmatic mind, you know, where you're trying to solve and, and trying to um, trying to work out um, what happened and how to how to change things for the better, which which is again, that, that's actually pretty admirable, because you're, you're trying to piece through it and uh, logically trying to, you know, 
change things uh, for the better for the new. But, you know, I, I love that you, again, uh, kind of went into the direction of leaning into uh, the hospice setting and seeing something there that you knew could bring positive change for you, you know, and again, I'm not, it's not a, a black and white, a right or wrong thing. I mean, I, I don't like if, if you were to come out and say, you know what, I had to take three years off and I traveled and, and that's just what I need to do. Like, you know, that there's, again, there's no right or wrong answer, but you know, your decision on that was, was also, I think, very interesting and, and to see that and to see how, uh, you ended up using that and, and also, you know, it, it was like a, uh, almost like a symb- symbiotic relationship with, you know, you giving to the hospice set- setting and learning and, and them uh, gaining someone like you uh, in their, in their practice. And ultimately I did have a dream of uh, my father that was really powerful f- uh, for me and that also helped me to make a shift. And I can tell you about that if you want me mm-hmm. to. Yes, please do. And how long was this after he died? It was actually 11 years. Wow. wow. Um, and so I had gone on, away on a writing retreat and I, I was really upset with myself actually, because at 11 years after my dad's death, I was still grieving and still not feeling joy in my life. And I I I was blaming myself, like, what is wrong with me that I'm still in this state and I can't seem to get get through it. So I gone away on a writing retreat and I thought, I'm determined. I'm going to have a breakthrough. I'm going to write and write and write. I'm going to figure out, like, why I'm still sad and why I still can't smile spontaneously. How could this be after 11 years? I knew if, if I tell one of my colleagues, they will say I should be on medication, that I have pathologic grief. And, um, I just wanted to try to solve this crisis, but I'd been on this retreat for a few days and nothing had changed. Nothing had happened. There'd been no breakthrough until the last night of the retreat. And that's when I had this dream. And in the dream, I was riding in my dad's old pickup truck. He had this red Chevy pickup that he used to drive all the time. And I was in the passenger seat and dad was driving and we were in the Bighorn Mountains, these um, remote mountains where we always used to go fishing and camping, driving on these dirt roads. And I spent so much of my life with my dad there driving in those remote places. So it was the greatest feeling because I was there with my dad and we were back in that place that I loved. And he was driving the truck and it it became clear to me we were on our way to help my uncle Ralph who had gotten his truck stuck in a mud hole uh, on the mountain and so we were going up there to help pull him out of the mud and um, I was kind of laughing and making fun of my uncle and I said to my dad can you believe it it's the dry season so there's only like one mud hole on the entire mountain and Ralph manages to get Mm. stuck in it and I was laughing about that And I turned and my dad turned and looked at me and he had the most beautiful expression on his face. It's hard for me to describe, but his eyes were shining and he had this very, this slight smile and, and there was just pure love and compassion coming from him. And I, I think of it as some Buddha statues I've seen where Buddha is just slightly smiling, but (laughs) I don't know that that's how it just felt um, like something so sacred and beautiful, all of this love that was pouring from him. And he turned and looked me right in the eyes and he said, these roads can be tricky sometimes. 
And uh, instantly in the dream, so these roads can be tricky sometimes. And instantly in the dream, suddenly I was driving the truck and I was by myself and I came up to my uncle Ralph and I got up and said, um, I'm here to help you. I'm going to pull you out of the mud because I have dad's truck with the winch on the front and we're going to use it and we're going to get you out of the mud. And so I woke up from that dream and suddenly it was like, wow, like, like what this dream is telling me that is that like, first of all, these roads are tricky. These roads of grief and traveling this journey, it's tough. It's not just a a straight path. There's so many obstacles and so many difficulties to, to get through. And what dad was saying to me is be compassionate with yourself. Don't judge yourself. Like it's okay. It's okay to be on the tricky roads and it's, it's okay that you get stuck in the mud sometimes and get lost and wander. But then it also showed me that I have these tools from my dad, his truck with the winch on the front. Like I was now assuming a position where I would be able to help other people who were stuck. All I had to do was get myself unstuck. But that dream was the thing that helped me get unstuck. It's the thing that helped me suddenly shift forward and suddenly change all my focus and learn how to be compassionate with myself, to stop judging myself and feeling so much guilt and how to focus on, you know, what I'm really doing here. I've been learning all these skills and all these tools so that I can be there to help other people when they need it. And um, so, so that dream right there was what really helped me make a transformation at that point. Wow. That, <laughs> that is phenomenal. It was so beautiful. And that, you know, that statement, these roads can be tricky sometimes. (laughs) It goes through my head all the time because I I think about it. If I'm starting to judge myself or like, ah, why did I do that? Why did I make that mistake? Why didn't I do this instead? I stop and say, wait, these roads can be tricky sometimes. I'm doing the best I can. And (laughs) it's all right. Yeah, so beautiful. And that's that's the kind of, that's the moment you want with your father, right? Like you... You lean on a parent for those moments when you are going through some stuff and they just give you some advice and, you know, it's, you didn't have that for so long, but, you know, all these years and, and where you, where you're, it, it's, a, it's a struggle. Like you said, it's, it's, it's a journey. It's a marathon going through the grief process sometimes. And to have that, and I can, it just, it just makes your heart feel so great just to have you say that and to see that, oh, your dad's looking out for you and, He's there, uh, you know, and whatever you believe. But, you know, that's the message I took from that of like, wow, it's in those moments, you know, and he, I guess from the other end, you're looking at, you could look at it from as well. It's like he's, he feels good knowing that you're able to take care of yourself when he's not around, right? Yeah, I can drive the truck too. (laughs) And I know how to use it. And someone else pointed out that maybe he was saying it about himself, and all that life is tricky sometimes. And that maybe that's why he just wasn't able to stay here longer. He just wasn't able to live any longer. Yeah, there's so much you could take from that dream and how it shifted you. I think a lot of times we just don't know. And I think I think looking just, you know, when, when I heard about you, there's the dream itself, but there's a moment in that dream where you said you're just, your father was just beaming this love and you're in this presence of love. And I think there's something to that because you see that very commonly in those dreams that shift people. That's what happened with me. 
like, yes, I got to say goodbye to my dad and hug him, but there was this love and peace that I've never been, I never consciously felt in waking life. And I wonder if there's something in there that actually changed me. Like as much as I did some of those things, I wonder like the power of love. It's like, what is love? First of all, and these dreams give us a clue of what's possible when it comes to the to defining love in some way or mm-hmm. feeling love in some way, but how powerful that may be in just helping us regroup and retool almost. And did you feel, Joshua, what I felt is that I couldn't even really describe the feeling of that love. It was so amazing and so much bigger in some ways than anything I'd felt before. Have Did you feel that way too, that it was very hard to describe it to other people? Yeah, it still is. And even mm. you hear these dreams that people have and they describe it as this vivid powerful feeling almost a wave of love and you're like what does that even mean and a lot of people like even for me you can't really describe it it's Mm -hmm. because i've never felt it before in waking life it's like trying to describe i don't know ice cream to someone who's never had it before like it doesn't do it justice Mm -hmm. (laughs) you gotta taste it and like in these dreams you're tasting something that's so foreign to your consciousness in a way. And I think when you're trying to put words on it, loves and peace is really the best descriptions I could give it. And the lightness of my father, because my father had a lot of issues with drinking and coping with life. So he was always heavy in the world. And in that dream, he was the lightest I've ever seen him and whatever that means to people. But that's what he was trying to describe something that I don't know what it was, but when I woke up, I was completely changed from where my grief was to where it was now waking up. And it wasn't because I interpreted it. It was like that moment changed me. And so when I hear these stories and these dreams people have, I always get inspired because there's this other aspect of ourselves as humans that we could reach and could understand a little bit further of what is possible living in this life. And this type of love, if it happened in our dreams, why can't it happen more often in waking life? Mm. And I think that's what you're describing too, when it comes to understanding the, what love is when the lessons of the dying. And I think these dreams also try to show us what is possible. They almost, it's almost like a beacon of where you can go now, like in waking life, like a, what, what a focus could be for you to realize, oh, I still have work to do, but, but it's possible. I love that you use the word lightness because that really described my dad in that dream too. this sense about him that he was no longer carrying any weight or any burdens on his shoulders that like you, I could say for most of my dad's life, he always seemed heavily burdened. Like there were a lot of things that he carried, a lot of concerns and worries. And it occurred to me that in some ways, when my dad died, I took on the weight I took on the burden that he had carried and that dream let me finally be free of the, of the burden too. And I want to just mention one dream that came to my mind when we we're just talking about love, because, you know, it just happens about like how interesting these dreams actually are. So I had this individual tell me a dream of having a dream of her deceased cousin, I believe it was. And in the dream was just pure love, the way she was describing it. And the deceased made a comment on that you're in a place of love. And she said, how can I be in a place of love if I don't love myself? And then the deceased says, well, in this place, you do love yourself. And she woke up. Wow. So I think it really goes to show that they're like, 
working on yourself and trying to love who you are, as you said, like compassion is a key to trying to get to this state and whatever it is. And that's really interesting because it's like, it's happening on two levels. It's happening in your waking life, but it's also probably happening subconsciously at the same time. And I love that idea that in this place, you do love yourself. Uh, I mean, that gives me goosebumps because it actually, it actually makes so much sense to me um, for all those years that I blamed myself that at the same time, part of me was loving me at the same time. Yeah, I think it's, and it, I think it also gives some hope that, you know, there's people in our lives who we, we really, we see that are, that sometimes live in misery and, and are going through some stuff. I, it actually made me think of um, the only, I have heard that as well, just like all of, with just, you know, with Josh and, and you as well, um, Dr. Wyatt, but with the, those type of specific dreams and where they see the face and it's just a totally different look. And I remember the one of the only grief dreams I really remember is with uh, my uncle that honestly, we weren't even that close. You know, he had kind of come in and out of my out of our lives. But anyways, the grief dream when when the dream was taking place, I actually saw him make that face and I'd never seen him make that face ever. Like it, it wasn't even registered in my brain. Like and so I knew in my heart that was a new look. You know, he just wasn't, you know, obviously, and the interactions we had, he was just, he just never was happy like that. I was like a lightness, like a joy that I had never seen before. So, and when we hear it from other people with all the episodes and podcasts that we've done, there are times where we've heard that and they all, people, it's like, it's like you ever hear people talk about seeing aliens, like the alien encounters. There's always like a few things that are, are kind of relatable, but like, this is what it was. Like, it was just like, oh yeah, that's amazing. Like. But to me, it's like, it's not even in the brain. Like, I think it's a totally new, something totally unique. I totally agree with you guys. Yeah. And and it's like, once you see that, it does change you forever. You can't unsee it. Like, you don't go backwards from there. You you see it and now you recognize it. And then maybe like you, Joshua, you end up working on grief dreams because it has such a profound effect on you. You never know where it's going to lead. But I'm so grateful to be in this spot to be able to hear these stories. And the deceased in the imagery anyways, they always say the best one-liners. And for your dad, you know, these roads can be tricky sometimes. That is so great. Like I could put that on my wall, as you said, to reflect as you go through not only your own grief, but any other challenges that, you know, pull you in a direction to try to retain your balance as you work through them. I think that's that's why I love hearing these dreams because there's a lot of lessons I get from it. As you said, like sitting with the dying can provide you a lot of lessons. Hearing about these dreams can also provide you a lot of life lessons as you move forward to give you hope and encouragement. It's really as a kind of interesting follow-up to that dream. A number of years later, my uncle was dying in hospice and I went to visit him like literally the day, I guess was the night before he died. And he'd been in a coma and was barely waking up at all. But I I came to see him and I I just looked him in the eyes and it's it's like the dream was right there. I have dad's truck <laughs> and I need to get him out of the mud hole. You know, I need to like there's something I need to say to help him. And I looked in his eyes and for some reason out of my mouth came the words, all is forgiven. 
And he started crying. Tears started pouring down his face. And I don't know why I said that necessarily. I wasn't planning to say it. I don't know where it came from. I just said those words to him. And it was like, oh, wow. Like this came full circle. Like here I am. I, you know, maybe somehow the words came through me that needed to be expressed to him. And, you know, and and maybe that, that was helpful to him. Did you ever dream about him after he died? Um. No, no, I never, I never dreamed of my uncle or dreamed again of my dad either. I remember you telling me a story, I think it was, I don't know if it was on air or off air, about hugging someone that you never hugged before in waking life. Well, I, it, it was, um, there were dreams before this dream. I had a few small dreams of my dad. And in one of those dreams, he hugged me. And um, my dad, like I said, was kind of a loner and kind of not very comfortable with physical touch so yeah it was my dad who had basically like never hugged me uh, when he was alive but there I had a dream before that where I saw my dad in my house and he hugged me and um, this was before the other powerful dream but yeah and that was that was definitely very powerful as well wow yeah and you just sort of see the continuation of Grief is difficult and these dreams can really help us and you don't know how they're helping, but I can only imagine what it'd be like to hug your father. Like my dream of hugging my dad was very similar. Last time I hugged him was probably when I was a kid. It wasn't something like even saying I love you and never, we never said it to each other. It was almost like it's just implied and don't ask or don't don't say it. (laughs) um, So like like in my dream, it it meant so much to me to have that feeling of, of feeling loved and being able to express your love which i think a lot of times we forget to do and that's one of the lessons i've learned is just the importance of expressing our love like now and in the moment and i want to just mention quickly because i just keep thinking about your dream it was so amazing (laughs) i gotta put on a t-shirt or something (laughs) so i can just remember it all the time but the of you like helping someone else and i think i hear people saying the how powerful it is for the human soul to be in service of others you know, to volunteer, to do these things. And I, I wonder like what kind of influence that has on us. And because you were servicing or helping someone else. And and that in itself, I think, is a powerful clue of something of what love is. And I think just mm. servicing others may do more for us than we even realize. Yeah, I think that's really true. And one thing I learned is that I cannot script those moments. I can't plan ahead and know that there's that there will be an opportunity to say the right thing or be in the right place for someone else. I really learned that this is where um, the lesson of learning how to just be in the present moment and just pay attention to whatever's happening, that became really profound for me because if I think with my mind that I'm going to set things up so that I have a chance and I'll say something powerful to someone, that isn't even possible. It, it, it doesn't ever work that way. But being open and listening and being present in the moment, sometimes spontaneously things happen. And so that's how, how I learned to just be humble, but be, be open in the moment to whatever, whatever's happening around me. Yeah, and absolutely. I think that makes you a great caregiver and that just shows why you got into the field you got into and how your life has progressed forward. You know, you it seems like you had done a lot, obviously done a lot of work into trying to solve or just trying to work yourself around uh, the grief that you went through. 
And now you want to transfer that to other people and, and to help other people because you it seems like you understand that 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 for you, especially that's a key where you found the gap and you found you had to struggle through something. And now that you feel a little better and, and you feel like you have the tools to kind of move forward, you want to now help other people, which I think is commendable. And, and it's 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 amazing. Right. These profound experiences that we have can just open our hearts. And so let us see kind of where the needs are and see maybe where we fit in or what we might be able to do to help. Yeah, and I wouldn't doubt too, the way you help is probably, or even see it as different because if you're in the moment, you're just doing what you're doing because it's the right thing to do, not passing judgment. It's not like you need them to change. You're just there. And it's what's interesting I found is when you go about life that way, it's you're helping more people than you even realize because your energy in how you view the person has changed. You don't need them to change. You're just there with them. And that in itself is something that a lot of people just don't get because everyone is feeling judged and not being far enough or not being good enough. And they just keep getting this stuff. But if you can just be with someone that's just loving you in the moment, like it doesn't feel like you're serving anyone, but you are. It's interesting too that um, the person that I judge the most is myself, but it was really profound for me when you shared that other person's dream that said, but part of you uh, was loving yourself. Like, wow, <laughs> that that just opens my mind to so many possibilities that, you know, I struggle with how do I not judge myself, but to remember there's a part of me that doesn't judge me. There's a part of me that does love me and is accepting of me. And that's, wow, that was that was really profound. I'm so glad you shared that with me. Well, this is this is what we do. We just chat and see what comes out. But yeah, I'm inspired. And what's interesting too is I judge myself too. I'm not going to lie. It, it, it comes in here and there. But there's these moments in life where you realize, hey, I didn't judge myself at once. And a lot of times it's these podcasts I do. When I'm talking and I'm listening and I'm engaged, well, there's no judgment at all. I'm just sitting here listening. When I look back at the podcast and what it's giving me, it's in these moments I feel free in a way because I'm not judging myself. I'm actually in the moment. And like, what a beautiful thing that is that I didn't realize going in a podcast could be. Yeah, I think I've experienced that as well. There's something just so meaningful about these these little moments of just honest sharing and communicating with another person. Until you experience it, you can't even imagine that it's possible. Yeah. And there, there's a, there's a level of us being thirsty for it. Like we're all thirsty for, I think, <laughs> you know, a, a, a kind word, uh, some validation, like your uncle, you know, on his deathbed, you know, just, it, it was a simple uh, uh, statement, but you don't know what people need and they just carry it with them. And, you know, especially like the older generation, like, you know, speaking my father and uh, like older than that. And, like you said, like a lot of people weren't hugged or touched or, or told good things about themselves. So like, you know, what would you want on your deathbed? You want to hear your loved ones saying statements like that, which I think is, it's bittersweet to me because like, man, you just want people to say those things more. But sometimes, you know, again, it's it's something where I think starting to recognize a lot more of like what, what it is exactly what people need. But 
I can imagine for your listeners, your podcast is so helpful for, for other people to hear, part, even people who've maybe had dreams of, of grief, but those who haven't to actually open to that idea. Maybe something will show up in my dreams if I'm more aware of them or pay attention to them. And I'm sure it's really helpful to people who, who are listening to all these stories. Well, that's what we hope, right? We just, we're just doing this and whatever kind of impact it has, it has, but just for what we know, it has impacted some people. And I think that's just beautiful. And it's impacting me being here and talking and hopefully it's impacting the guests too and sharing their stories and talking about a subject that most people just never talked about like you and like how powerful that dream was. Like, <laughs> like why, why isn't that shared everywhere? Because there's so much beauty in that, that someone could take as they sort of get encouraged to live their life in a new way. Yeah, it's funny. I've thought about, well, I'm really grateful, Joshua, that you're doing research because I think one of one thing that held me back as a doctor is a fear that my colleagues would say, well, you can't say anything about, you don't know anything about dreams. You can't say that your dream has any meaning to it. Like, where are you getting those ideas? And so it's really nice to know someone is doing some research. So we maybe have some validated information about, about these dreams. Agreed. And that's, I guess, why I, I had to, right? It's just something that needed to be done for people to take it more seriously and be able to open up the conversation because it wasn't being done prior. So this is allowing people to say, oh, okay, yeah, it's validating that not only it exists, but it's very powerful within the grief journey. All right. For our last question that we'd like to ask our guests is if you could have a dream tonight of someone who has died, what would that be for you? Um, I guess I would like to dream of my mom because I had a kind of a difficult relationship with my mom. And I've had some dreams about her where I have come to understand her better. But I would like to know, I, I guess I would like to have a dream where I feel loved by my mom. That's kind of what I'm looking for is to feel her connection to me because I've had dreams where I've witnessed her in a way that helped me understand her and how wounded she was. But I would love it if I could feel um, her pouring that same kind of love out toward me that my dad did. That's, that's one thing I would like. Oh, that's beautiful. I really do hope you get something like that too, because it'll help you just change how you see your mom and that relationship and your continuing bond. So I would just like question, or I just have a question when it comes to that dream, where would you want it to be? So you're driving in the truck, right? And you're with your dad, with your mom, where would you want to be? Would you be driving again? No, probably in her house, I would think, um, drinking tea together, because <laughs> she she loved to have tea. And she had a collection of teacups and teapots. So maybe just sitting at her table, looking out at the lilac bushes in the yard and uh, drinking tea together. And I just a, a quick question is, how did she die? Was it before, or and when, when she died? Was it before or after your dad? It was after my dad uh, by quite a few years. She died at age 89 and she had just some chronic health problems and then developed biliary cancer right at the very end of life before she died. But I got to be with her for the last week of her life and take care of her in her home, which was really wonderful. We had a lot of reconciliation there, but it was so short. Our, the, our time together, it was powerful, but very short. So I would love to be able to follow that up with... Um, with a special dream now, this this many years later. It's been seven years since she died. Yeah, I hope so too. I really do. So please keep us updated when you have that dream, okay? 
Yeah, I'm learning, I guess, that these dreams don't necessarily come to you right away after a death. You know, my dad, with that powerful dream, <laughs> yeah. my dad was 11 years, so yeah. I may have to wait a little bit longer. <laughs> Hopefully not that long. Hopefully, <laughs> but yeah. you just don't, you don't know, right? And it's just one of those things that there's always time. Like you'll, there's time to have one. And I think it's just not losing faith that it is possible still as you move forward. Yeah, just please keep us updated on whenever that does come. I will. I definitely will. I love knowing that there's someone who's interested in hearing my dreams. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, I think, yeah, we all need to get better at that. Hearing uh, each other people's dreams. And uh, you know, this is the place. And this is what we try to do is just to foster that safe place uh, to do that. Because I think it's it's needed and not just obviously, you know, I think the research and what Dr. Black's doing is is tremendous. And that's so important to do the academic side. And to get everybody on board uh, in the, the consultants and professionals, uh, but also just personal life and to get people comfortable and open and saying, hey, these are special and, you know, you, you can uh, hopefully change things and hopefully, you know, even relationships change even after death. So uh, that's what I love about it. Yeah, so true. I'm so grateful that you're doing this and I want to thank you so much for having me be your guest. Okay, so where can people find you now that they know a little bit about you? Where can they find your book? Where can they find your podcast and everything else that you have in this world? If they go to the website, it's EOL University. That's for end of life, EOLUniversity.com. They'll find everything there, my podcast and books and courses and other things that I'm doing there. Excellent. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Karen White. This has been such an enjoyable interview and just talking with you and hearing um, your life and, and just the, the struggles, but also just how you overcame challenges. And I, I think that can really help out a lot of listeners. And I just I just loved hearing from you. And, you know, this has been just a fantastic episode. Thank you so much. Thank you both very much. All right. So as usual, we like to end our podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Thank you again for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about the topic, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. On there, you can find our two online courses. So the first one is a Grief Dreams workshop that I developed, which is designed to help you learn all about the topic. And the second one is Crazy in Love, Using Romantic Relationships as a Vehicle for Growth. And this is designed to help you rethink modern intimate relationships. And that is by myself and Jade Carling Black. On the website, you can also book a one-on-one -on -one Grief Dreams consulting session with me to discuss your own dreams, or if you want to learn more about the topic. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. We have two clubs on Clubhouse that you can follow, and those are Grief Dreams, and the other one is Grief Cafe. If you have Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page to be notified when we release new episodes. You can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group and on there you can share your dreams and hear more dreams of others. Once again, to help support the podcast, please subscribe and rate the podcast on your platform that you listen on. This helps our show come up when people search for grief podcasts to listen to. Also, you can become a member of the podcast through Patreon, and we have three membership levels, $1.50, $7, and $20 a month. So if you want to give, please go there to see what perks we have to offer. This money helps us run the podcast. You can find the Patreon link in the show notes below. We would like to thank all of those who continue to support us. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can be comforted by your dreams tonight. Bye.